Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucksters? Uh, what the fucking clauses? That was my attempt at a Christmas moniker for you people, but it doesn't really make sense. What the f- uh, fucking bells? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Welcome to the show. This is Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. If you're just tuning in for your first time, as we head into another year, if everything goes well in the next couple of weeks, I think we'll all be heading into another year. Well, most of us. Well, let's not get grim. You know what I'm saying? I mean, as a world, the individuals come and go on any given day. You know what? I just I, I dug us into a hole right out of the gate, and I was trying to fill this with holiday cheer, and now I'm basically prophesizing some of you will not be alive in the new year. And I'm not saying any of you in particular. God damn it. Why can't I just get out of this now? Let's let's just start over, but not start over. Hey, how you doing? Uh, happy holidays. I hope they're going well for you. And, and I'm looking forward to 2016. Did that seem honest? Look, what I meant to say is I hope everybody is having a, a, a pleasant and uh, somewhat relaxing holiday, if that's possible. Um, I am because I'm on vacation. I am uh, in my home state of Nuevo Mexico. I'm up in the Santa Fe area. I'll be heading to Albuquerque shortly. Go see my dad for a couple hours. Try and make it through that. I'm here with the with the lady. Sarah's in the, on the couch. It's been good. It's been intimate already. It's only been a few days. You know, I, I imagine this has been talked about by other people. But, you know, when you're in a place where there's nowhere to hide and you can hear and smell things, just right over there and you just have to be I here's my point I don't I think that one a big moment in a relationship probably has to be when both people eat the same thing that's bad and they both and it fucks them both up inside so so here you are in this situation where you're like well I, you know there's no second room there's only one bathroom and that that stuff fucked me up too in my stomach it's like we're gonna have to ride this out look I'm telling you, man, intimacy is a broad, it's a big tent, all right, full of, full, full, with, a, with a full range of sounds and smells ranging from the beautiful to the grotesque. That is what, what love and relationship is about, engaging in all the sounds and smells of 
the person you're with. It's mostly me. Mostly me. I'm not going to throw her under the bus. I'm stinky and I make noises. That's just, I'm just putting that out there. All right? Merry Christmas. Did I say that? Merry Christmas. So I didn't even mention who's on the show today. Bob Forrest, musician and uh, sober guy, rehab uh, celebrity and coach and uh, advisor. Might uh, remember him from the Dr. Drew business. What was that? Celebrity rehab. He was in the band Thelonious Monster. Did a few records. Uh, And a notorious L.A. character. Primarily defined back in the day by his uh, heroin use. His most recent album is Survival Songs, which I like a lot. I'd never really listened to Thelonious Monster, and I I put a little research in. I did my homework. And um, it's just interesting. You you know, I'd heard about them for years, and I'd heard about Bob for years, and I'd I'd even seen him around at the secret meetings and uh, never talked to him. But this was a pretty amazing conversation. I know a lot of you got sort of hung up with the idea of, uh, you know, what's what's episode 666 going to be? What's that going to be, man? Are you going to interview Satan, dude? What's it going to be? 666, what is that? Well, this is episode 666. We, we didn't uh, plan it out. We, we, didn't, uh, we didn't use that context to deliver you some ironic or non-ironic uh, relative guest to 666. So I'm going to bend this one into something that you, you, uh, you sort of... Uh, Latent Satanists and people who are mystified by the triple number. I'm going to try to bend it into something for you. Like, for instance, quite honestly, on, uh, on this planet and in this life, there's fewer things that can be honestly called demonic possession other than heroin. Heroin is as close as one can get, I think, to demonic possession because it robs you of your will and it takes over your life and it destroys you from the inside and the outside and it makes you do things that you would never do if you weren't under the spell and addiction to heroin. Heroin is the fucking devil. Now, anything can be a devil, you know, if you let it go too far. That's what them sins are all about. You know what I mean? Food. Food can do a number on you. Power, lust, envy, you know, seven deadlies, sloth. Get, those things get too far with you. It all, that's, that's the work of the devil there. But heroin, heroin, because it was so romanticized by so many people, is uh, no doubt the devil. Uh, or definitely uh, a, a franchise. Heroin is a, a franchise of Satan. If there is a Satan, if that's your thing. If uh, if you, uh, you know, depends how you look at it, where your, mis- where your mystical um, parameters are, what those are. But Bob Forrest is a great example of somebody who fought that fucking devil, came out the other side with an amazing amount of self-awareness and creative energy, and also helps a tremendous amount of other people. See, you know, you fight with the fucking devil and then maybe you come out with some good stories and a little bit of wisdom and he's one of those cats. And I was excited to talk to him. And obviously we had a conversation that had a lot to do with that. And those of you who out there on the holiday, I've been getting a lot of emails 
from people struggling with uh, addiction, alcoholism, people wondering whether or not they're an alcoholic. Generally, from, from where I'm sitting, in my experience, if you're asking other people if you might be an alcoholic, I would say you're probably an alcoholic. If, the, if it comes into your head where like you're sitting there you know, and you've just shit your bed or something, and you're like, oh, I wonder if I have a drinking problem. Then you probably do, I would say. A couple of tel- red flags. Peeing in your sleep in your bed, shitting your bed. Those are big red flags. Uh, losing everything. Uh, sitting in a room alone. Uh, weeping. Wondering where your life went. But still saying like, ah, I need a drink. That might be bad. If a lot of people tell you you might have a drinking problem, that's not easy for other people to say. And it's not, I don't think it's said lightly usually. So you know who you are and, and, I, and, I, and I hope you take care of that. There's things you can do. There's places you can call. I know there are some people that say, and this is an important holiday message, depression too, get help. There's help out there. And I'm not going to tell you what help to get. You know, it's each to their own. If you think something's going to work for you, try it. Just get off the shit. Get the devil out of you if you can by any means necessary. Just do it for a few days. See how you feel. You'll spin around. You'll freak out. But you get through it. People are built to adapt. And let's do a couple of corrections and then get on with it. I have a couple of corrections. On the Brian Grazer episode, apparently a lot of people... Rightfully so. Uh, and but folks, it's not so much that I'm getting old, but, you know, I have brain farts and problems and, you know, I use the wrong word. I'm not Norm Crosby level. It's not my act, but I'll fucking I'm you know, I used the wrong word. Like apparently in the Brian Grazer episode, I used the word deliberate power, which I don't even know if it really makes any sense as opposed to delegate. I've made note of that and I've uh, rewired my brain to not use that word inappropriately anymore. It's not inappropriately, wrong. It wasn't inappropriate, it just was the wrong word. In my conversation with Horatio Sands, apparently we were both talking about different movies. He was talking about Crank, and I was talking about Crank 2. And we never really got resolution around that. That I was literally telling him he was wrong, but he was right and I was right. They were just different movies. I couldn't imagine, I guess, that they would you know, make a second one, so I thought I was seeing the only one. Though it was pretty compelling. The other thing I'd like to direct you towards, um, and I'm, you know, look, I, I'm not that self-serving or self-promoting, really. I do a podcast, but, you know, it's usually a, some sort of fucked up internal wrestling match. But a guy by the name of James Parker wrote a piece on me and my show, this show, for The Atlantic. It, the title of the piece is Mark Marin's Brilliant Mistakes, the star podcaster's success is rooted in his early career failure and despair. Of course, I'm going to read stuff that, uh, about me. But look, I'll tell you this. I don't Google search my name. Look, I'm not, I'm not trying to appear humble or like I have humility. I just don't have a Google search on my name. And I, I don't do that shit. I wait till it gets to me some other way. So somebody sent me the link to this on Twitter the other day. And this is a well-written piece. It's like it's got a point. It's got a context, a historical and stuff. I know it's about me, but I'm just saying that there are people that write criticism out there that are thoughtful writers and I'll take shit and I don't mind being characterized badly in a piece if there's a point to it. And this guy, though, it's, you know, a very uh, nice piece about me, 
the way he describes me, I think if it was in another context or even if I was reading this wrong, I would be like, why is he saying that about me? Like, am I really that guy? But you know what? I am the guy that he depicted here, and I learned some things about myself and about the show because I I don't think the way somebody outside of me thinks. And this guy wrote a very thoughtful, eloquent, uh, pointed piece of criticism. See, a lot of people don't fucking understand in this culture, you know, what real criticism is and that there's a context and there's cultural relevance to it. But in order to keep their job, they write clickbait bullshit. They write, you know, snarky reviews there's a definite difference between a review and a piece of criticism and real critics are real writers reviewers are generally any asshole and clickbait is cancer merry christmas did i mention merry christmas i want to make sure that's clear hope you're having a good holiday and be careful will you this holiday season don't hurt yourself in one way or another emotionally physically don't hurt other people try all right just try try oh wait I just remembered something before I forget again to promote my own thing. Uh, Marin season three, my IFC show will be on Netflix starting December 28th. That's a little uplifting stuff you can have between Christmas and new years. You can binge watch Marin season three. I know some of you are waiting to get caught up, gets a little intense, gets a little heavy this season, but enjoy Marin season three. Again, on Netflix, starting December 28th. All right, so that's, I did it. I promoted myself. I, I can do it. I can do it. Uh, right now, we're going to go uh, to my conversation with Bob Forrest. As I said, his new album is a folk album, actually, called Survival Songs, and he is going to play a couple after our chat. It's available now. Um, happy Holidays. I'll talk to you after Bob. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called the Foxed page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grade or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. I picked up the new record today, the survival songs. Yeah. It's fucking great, man. I got it. Yeah, I got it yesterday and I just started, you know, I just listened to it real close. And uh, like, I'm not a big lyrics guy and I'm not necessarily, you know, I don't know how much new folk music i listen to or or whether you call it that <laughs> no, but the, uh but the, the vander barnard you're not you know, you're not playing that stuff oh no, man <laughs> but uh i it really resonated with me it seemed real honest and some of the songs are just they're just fucking great man well thank you do you well, look at this new record as like uh one of your best 
I just want it to be in people's faces. I think that America's lost its storytelling. My dad used to tell stories, and yeah. he didn't know if half of them were true or half of half of what he was telling you was true. But didn't matter. Something really. about storytelling that. Yeah. That like Studs Terkel and Gore Vidal and all these people, they used to just tell stories. Yeah. And it's not around anymore. And we I don't have we... time. We don't have time, Bob. <laughs> no time for stories. <laughs> well, stories teach we gotta, us. We're going to have to wait till the end of this story? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was very compelling. So that's where it came from is that you were writing. But it seemed like most of those things, I talked to a lot of songwriters in here. Where, you know, and I always assume that everybody's writing from a first-person point of view. Those seem pretty personal to me. They're personal. Right. They're my That's perspective, your my life. So, storytelling was the inspiration. Well, it always has been. I wanted to be a poet in college, and it didn't go, go you know, poetry wasn't too popular. Tough record. <laughs> yeah. That's really turned around. Boy, you missed a real opportunity there, Bob. You yeah. should have stuck with that. I should have stuck with it, because I was up in San Francisco. They're going for it like crazy up there now. Well, where'd you grow up? I hear in here in LA in really? Palm Desert. Yeah. Palm Desert. Yeah. Out there. Out so in the desert, just like you. Desert guy. Yeah. Not like that desert. Albuquerque may be desert, but it it, it sort of passes as a city. I mean Palm Desert's kind there of desert. Was nothing. But that's how far is that from Desert Hot Springs? It's like 20, 30 miles. It's fucking nuts out there. So how the hell did you end out there? Was your well, dad my, in the military? I was an illegitimate child and so my parents wanted to hide me. What? Yeah, I was my sister's son. Really? <laughs> so your sister's how much older than you? 15 years. So they just... what? I, we had a vacation house down there, and I guess they just... Well, here's the this, this forest story is my dad had three daughters, and his middle daughter got pregnant at 14, and so they put her in St. Anne's Home for Unwed Mothers here in Silver Lake. Really? Yeah, it's Catholics. And my dad apparently said, because he's my dad, he's who raised me. He said, if it's a boy, we'll adopt it. If it's a girl, it goes up to Catholic Charities. Right. That's old school. <laughs> <laughs> and he wanted a son and he got one and he spoiled me and he was the greatest. But so you were, so do you know who your father is? I know his name, but. You, you never. I've tried him? to track him down two or three times and he doesn't want any contact. So your sister's your mom. Yeah. Right. It, well, the way <laughs> like the way not in Chinatown right, type right, way, not right, like no, incest, no. right? But in a rock and rolly Elvis Presley way. Sure, I get it. Because she told me when she was, she, you know, she didn't really know about sex, but her boyfriend had a forty-five player in the in the glove compartment of his truck. Right. And so they, you know, they'd park and pull that thing out, put Elvis and Jerry Lee on. They had a slide in the <laughs> dash forty-five player. Yeah, it came out of the glove box and oh. the 45 player was just sitting there so he speaker. rigged it up it yeah he rigged it up right yeah and that's how he seduced her yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i guess so because that was how much older are you than me what that was in the 61. early 61 so it was the early 60s just coming out of the 50s what she did was pretty bad news yeah uh, for the family and culturally well they what what happened was they my family, you know, thought of themselves as some Los Angeles family. So they had a vacation house. So they just decided, you know, my mom who raised me yeah. and my three sisters and I would live in the desert house until I was like five. And then I would come back and everybody would just not notice, I guess. <laughs> so that was the plan they did. Yeah. They, they sort of I came back for kindergarten. And you, this was your dad's idea? Yeah. That like we just had this other kid? Yeah, we just, you know, late in life. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we we, uh, we were on the rhythm method. We didn't know what happened. <laughs> yeah. What was your dad's business? 
Hit Thrifty Mart, supermarkets. He owned them? No, he built them. Oh, he's a con- uh, yeah. contractor? And they were famous here in L.A. because they had big T signs. Yeah. You know, one of the great oh, really? things. And he died when I was 15, but one of the great things that was touching for me is in Joan Didion's Play It As It Lays, mm-hmm. which is one of the greatest novels written about L.A., when she's going to get her abortion. What's it called? I got to write Play wanna... It As It Lays by Joan it. Didion. Okay. When she's going to get an abortion, the yeah. character or whatever. Right. They say, get on the Hollywood freeway and go north and get off as soon as you see the big red T. That's my dad's signs. Yeah. These 40-foot tall neon signs. All gone. Yeah, they're all gone. Wow. It's, it's smart and final now. <laughs> uh, not, as, uh, not as exciting. No. You, so, all right, so you're out in the desert with your sisters and your mom. Your dad's in town building shit. And what are you doing out there? Well, how many? I can't. I can pick. Is That's not 29 Palms. Palm Desert Palm Desert is, it's you know, well, years later when I went to Joshua Tree, it's very much like Joshua right. Tree. It was very rural. There was nothing, just desert and date trees, and we rode motorcycles and, you know, so caught you, lizards. And, you thought you had a pretty good childhood? It was great. Yeah? Yeah. And you had, there, you had some friends? Because I know Josh Ami comes from Desert Hot, that desert what is that desert hot springs yeah they're much, around those there. guys are much younger no i know it but, was a city by the time they were born yeah, but it was crazy out there there's still something about desert <laughs> rats oh, yeah, and desert, desert life and, people yeah right yeah i have a house out in pioneer town and i there's desert people they just yeah, they're it's a weird mixture breed. of like drifters and eccentrics and meth heads yeah anti-social but right uh idealist <laughs> <laughs> and they they build shit out there. Yeah, they build big, art. Big ideas. Yeah. <laughs> There's the- guys out there. They build these huge art like installations with the intention of nobody seeing them. Like out of bottles. <laughs> that kind of shit. Yeah. It's wild, man. They did got you ever something go, to say. Did you go over? Do you ever go over that Integratron thing? Yeah. The, did the, you, yeah. What, yeah what, the, what's the story? I was story living in, in a cave, and he, well, he was kind of thought he was talking to aliens. I think. Right. It gonna, was. He was starting trying to start some sort of commune yeah, thing. Yeah. And he had well, that. everybody was back then. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah! I want to start one now. And you're. And you're, you you kind of have one, don't you? <laughs> what a start one. You have a, a recovery commune. Oh, the super secret society. Yeah, that's what I like to call it. Secret society meetings. <laughs> yeah. We're not so secret on this show. We keep I don't I don't use the name. I don't utter the name. It's always been a problem for me. I mean, it you must know, be tricky. I mean, it, it's weird. I I often wonder because I missed a lot of that generation of music that you come from with the Thelonious Monster and and uh Bicycle Thief and, and some of that LA music. I didn't get into it until later because I wasn't out here and I was really mainstream oriented. But I was wondering before you came over. Well, what'd you like? Like Steely Dan? Or no, what? fuck no. I love Steely I, Dan. I'm not a Steely Dan. You picked the one Dude. band. The one Dude, band. The- which, Drink scotch whiskey all night no, I long get it. I and get it. die behind the wheel. I get it. Yeah, but it's a little too... It, I don't feel like that guy's dying and he hasn't. There's <laughs> <laughs> not... Not enough menace in those tunes, bro. I mean, I I can yeah, understand something about it that it's so slick and jazzy That's and what, cool, and the lyrics are so depressing and suicidal no, and drug induced. I have the records. I try every so often to engage, and and it's not unlike me to I will I do engage. So you like Skinner or who of do you course, like? sure. I love Skinner. I love Skinner. I had all the records. Me too. I was uh, you know, I like the Stones and like early on with the uh, with in the late seventies. 
I got a box of records with some shit in it from the the record store next door to where I worked as a as a high school kid. They were like R and B focused, and they had this big box of rock records they gave me. Like I had Elvis Costello's first record oh, in yeah. there, and uh, what else? I think Sometimes a Talking Heads. Sometimes I wish that I could stop you from talking right. when I hear them silly things that you say. Right. Oh, the lit- that, thing, oh, that, God. That, that album was a gut puncher. Really but, was. But but other than that, fairly standard towny fair. I had some inspiration. There was Fog a, Hat? A little bit of Fog Hat, a little before my time, but certainly on the radio. Had all the Skinnerd records. Uh, had a few Dead records. Had the Stones records. Had the Beatles records. A lot of Bowie. Had a lot of Bowie. Bowie. A lot of Bowie. Pretty important to me. And then there was a guy at that record store who was an art rock dude. Turned me on to The Residents. Turned me on to Fred Frith, Brian Eno. Uh, My five-year-old's favorite song is Constantinople. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he calls them the eyeball people. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. his name is Elvis after Elvis Costello. Oh, after that Elvis. Good. Yeah. You, you make a differentiation. Oh, he like, now, he's five, and he tells people, oh, after Elvis Presley, he says, no, Elvis Costello. Yeah. He was sitting right there last week, Elvis Costello. Yeah, he's got the book out. Yeah, a lot of, lot of, yeah, so that was sort of where I came from. If it weren't for that guy that turned me on to the residents and that stuff, I don't know if my mind ever would have been Was blown. it Bow Wow Records? No, Bow Wow Records came much later. We used, used to play business? there. Sure. We used to play With there. With the uh, Dalmatian spots on it. Yeah. Up on Central. Yeah. Yeah, that guy was sort of uh, kind of dickish, but I, he was all right. He let you play there. Yeah. No, back when I was a kid, it was Natural Sound next to the General Store, which was a head shop. Oh, over yeah, by yeah, the yeah. University. And it was all wooden across That's the street right. from the university. That's I remember right. that place. Yep, yep. Because I, you know, I started touring in 83, roadie for the Chili Peppers. Were they so, that, was that their first album? What yeah, was it, up with Rofo Party Plan? Or? Yeah. Holy no, no, shit. no. The first one was called Red Hot Chili Peppers. It was only like 28 minutes long or something. Oh, really? Yeah. And that was with, uh, who was guitar playing? Was it Israel? Yeah, well, no. Hillel never made the first record. He came back. They got a guitar player named Jack Sherman. He played on that record and that tour. Mm-hmm. But he just didn't fit. But no? Right. No wrong kind of playing? Kind of a teetotaler. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> So how do you get from so Palm Desert? You did you did they make you go to Catholic school? Oh, of course. So you're real shit. You real fucking died in the wool Catholic. Oh yeah, like I'm you're a God fearing atheist. Yeah, but still God fearing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe in him, but just in case, yeah. heads my. I'm bed. in a world of shit. <laughs> You're making up for it, man. I am trying to break even. That's but, what I always say. But you brought up with a real fear of hell. Oh, yeah, for sure. If you masturbate or really? all that kind of stuff. So yeah, you yeah. Were, and you went to confession and you had a priest. Oh, Catholic. yeah. Catholicism sort of fascinates me. I mean, in retrospect, what are your feelings about it? The you know, mind fuck changed, of it. It's changed a lot, but it was like, to me, it was like child cruelty. You know, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. But I tell you, the funniest thing ever happened. I was an altar boy, right? And my job was to hold the tray in case the host might fall out of the mouth of right. one of my students. Coughing up the body of Christ. We had mass every morning, yeah. right? So I'm 13, 12, maybe 12. And the girls always went on one side and the boys on the other side of the church. They kept them all separate, right? Yeah. But in the same room, yeah, of course. And so I'm doing the tray, and I remember, like it was yesterday, all of a sudden looking at these girls like yeah. that. You with their mouth open. And me yeah. holding the tray, I got a hard on. Yeah. And I was like, oh, and the priest knew it too. And it was just like, holy shit, this yeah. is the greatest job ever. <laughs> the priest knew it. Of course he knew oh, it. Oh, he knew it. And, uh, and so, so you went to Catholic school. And all your sisters, any of them turn out to be nuns? Any of them? No. No? no. Any my, of them? My uh, sister mom's been married like five times. 
Your sister mom? Yeah. Has been married it's five like times. A, it's like a Mormon thing. Yeah, like yeah. Sister mom. What about the other sisters? My one the younger sister, the young uh, younger of the three, yeah. died from Lou Gehrig's disease oh, a few geez. years ago. So it's cru crushing. Oh my God! Yeah. How long did that go on for? Like three years. It's and horrible. how old was she? She was only in her early fifties. And that's 50s. when it came on, huh? Yeah. Wow. And uh, you know, when I first, you know, I was we were trying to find out what it is, and I was standing in the nurses' uh, station at yeah. our our rehab years ago. And I wrote this, you know, the long-term thing, and Dr. Drew was standing over to my right, and he looked down, and he goes, who has that? And I said, my sister, and he goes, oh, fuck. And I was like, what is it? And he goes, it's known as Lou Gehrig's disease. And and, 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 and so, you know, you know you're going to get sick. That's the torture of it. And it's it's one of those ones where you lose complete muscular control. Eventually, and... you're just inside your body, and it's not working. Oh, my God. How fucked up is that? And you, well, you were sober and therefore, right? I was, I was trying. Where was she? In Huntington Beach. Oh, she was close. Yeah. Yeah. You were trying? What, they wouldn't yeah. let you? Or? Well, I was like the black sheep of the family. My brother-in-laws have never really quite taken to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and plus, I know now, because I've, I've been married a few times, too. And that, that thing with girls and their brothers, yeah. I fucking, I don't understand it. Yeah. But I, you know, what is it? Do you know what I'm talking about? What the, the they just love their brothers, no matter how big a fuck ups they are. And I yeah. was a fuck up for decades. But the husbands didn't go for it. Oh, they were not, and just couldn't seem to. No matter how long I stayed sober, or did the right thing. It was just didn't wasn't, matter. Didn't or were matter. they stiffs? Were they? Uh, 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 what do you call? They're them? like Republicans, if that's <laughs> what you mean. Sure. <laughs> I was trying to use an old term that that uh, sort of covers a lot. I grew up in Republican land, and yeah. I've been a liberal or whatever you call it. What do you call it these days? Progressive? Or, sure, whatever you want. Progressive, you know, liberal, used to be a lefty. commie. I liked when they called us commies. Yeah. So, That's a little specific now. Yeah. yeah broaden it out. It's big tent. Progressive. Yeah, sure. Progressive Progressive good. in thought. Yeah. So uh, I remember I was watching, you know, my dad was watching the news, and it was the Vietnam War, and- uh, and I was like eight or seven. Yeah. And I went up to the TV and it was right when they were starting to show when Cronkite wanted to show the blood of the war. Yeah. Right? And so I said to my dad, that's not real blood, is it? And he said, Bobby, get out of here. It's none of your goddamn business. <laughs> and I was like, There's, the real kids are getting killed. This yeah. is fucked up. At seven or eight, I knew it was wrong. Now yeah. I'm 54. I know it's wrong. Right. When, yeah. You know, when we feel it. It's strange, though, how obsessed and uh, kind of, you know, this obsessed with war the world is, yeah. and particularly the American perspective of war. Well, after that war, uh, American got, you know, pretty cynical about it once they sort of started to see the truth of it and, and the, the confusing uh, you needed a better agenda. Enemy. You needed yeah. a better enemy, and now we've got the greatest enemy of all. Yeah, ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, but but was your dad uh, that guy? Was he a monster? No, he was a fun guy. He was a larger than life guy, like that, that kind of post war mm -hmm. guy, golfer, hunter, fun Dodger games. Did you learn how to play golf? Yeah, oh yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, well, you still what the play? fuck are you gonna do out there? <laughs> I've been golfing since I was like three do you golf now no i can't i can't do it so what happened was i played in high school and college and then of course you know i found all kinds of other yeah. things more interesting things not drugs predominantly but right. girls yeah 
you know. And, and fuck golf. Yeah, yeah. Golf wasn't too cool, I guess. Golf is not going to get you too popular. Well, I guess at the time you were growing up, which is a little ahead of me, I mean, there were two paths. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? If you're going to choose the golf path, it's going to be, a, it's it's not as cool as slog, and the chicks are certainly different than the rock and roll path. Yeah, the rock and roll thing. Well, it was really Lenny Bruce. There's the book. I read it when I was 13 years old. La- ladies book, and gentlemen. Oh, Goldman's book? Goldman's book. book. Yeah. I read that. I went and saw Lenny at the, the movie. movies. Did that come out in 74? That sounds about I, right. I was 13. I went and saw it, and I was just became obsessed with him. I with always Lenny have Bruce. been, yeah. So wait, so you go, you, 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 play, you go to high school, you do the Catholic thing. Where do you go to college? I go to college lots of different places, like for years and years. Yeah. LACC, Golden West College in Huntington Beach. I faked my way into Cornell for a, a semester. How did you do that? Because it was before computers. And <laughs> I, I got financial. I got. Uh, but isn't that in upstate New York? Yeah, yeah. My, I had an aunt that lived up there. <laughs> I had to get out of LA. The black beauties were killing me. Speed. <laughs> I remember those. Open them up and yeah. snort them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those yellow jackets? I, I don't, everybody talks about those. I don't know what those are. They had black beauties here. They had black and you could open and them the up and snort them. And the white crosses. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember snorting yellow jackets. I want to hear an interesting story about the super secret society. Yeah. When I was a senior in high school, yeah. I used to drink Bacardi and Coke in class. You know, yeah, I sure. lived on my own. I in lived in my gulp. own apartment. Yeah. In a yeah. Del Taco yeah. cup. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and so my teacher, my English teacher, who I really like, said, uh, could I talk to you after school, Bobby? And I was like, oh, okay. So I came and, uh, you know, and she said, do you think you have a drinking problem? And I was like, no. And she goes, "She goes, would you be interested? Because I used to have a drinking problem and I don't drink anymore. Would you be want, Would you want to come and meet some people that I, uh, like I forget yeah. how she phrased it. Right. And she was a lesbian. Yeah. So I knew She's asking me to go somewhere with her. Yeah, I wanted. I didn't really know what lesbians were, but I wanted to go where lesbians were. Sure. So I went with her. It was a twelve-step meeting in Laguna Beach. Yeah, Chuck C was probably there. Yeah, how I old, remember. How old I was seventeen. I remember thinking, oh, "This is good for old people." Right. I'm just starting <laughs> drinking. I don't, I don't know how these people got here. They must I misunderstand like the, it. I like the stories. And I like that old people got together and didn't drink. That's another interesting thing that you bring up stories because the narrative of an AA pitch is is at times the most moving thing. It really like is. Like it kills me every time. Like I think it taught me how to feel properly. Me too. You too? Yeah. Because like I find, you know, that an you, identification. Sure. I identify. You get it. And then that moment where, where they where AA reaches out or they find it and you start I start getting weepy, man. I get I do. It's like there's a there's a there's natural turn where this life is saved, life is changed. So that story thing is really uh it's really cathartic. But now you know Southern California has been perverted by rehabs. There's 3000 rehabs around here. So the the 12 step thing gets nowadays those stories now become the solution. I'm going to tell you how to do it. Right. You know, which is a real problem for me. I'll, I'll yeah. figure I'll ask somebody I like to tell me how to do it. Right. I right. don't need your opinion right. of yeah. how to do it. Let me find somebody who yeah. has what I want. And who then, I and, identify right, with. Right, right. And so it's become so solution-oriented and telling people to do the steps and do I this guess and that's do that. A, that's the sort of thing about... Uh, well, rehab's AA for profit. So, yeah. so you know... It well, I mean, this is m- an interesting uh, point of view for for someone that helped commercialize it in a way, <laughs> I 
you know, publicly and media-wise. And I will pay for that after I'm gone. You feel that? Yeah, Out of all no. the things, that's what you're going to go to hell for? <laughs> Celebrity rehab. That's right. You're going you're to die and get to the, get they're to gonna the start, gate. They're going to go, you put celebrities on television <laughs> suffering from disease of alcoholism? And I was like, yep. How many seasons? Uh, five. Oh, you're going to hell. <laughs> No, for sure. <laughs> Everything else you did, we can forgive you for. <laughs> Stealing money out of my mom's purse. No problem. No problem. Exploiting sick celebrities. One of the worst things I ever did, mm-hmm. I used to steal from a friend of mine that lived in Los Feliz because I felt that he had a lot of things and <laughs> yeah. I didn't yeah. have any. Yeah, you know that rationalization? Sure, sure. So when Laserdisc first came out, he, he had a bunch of them, yeah. right? And so, and they were very valuable, if you remember. Sure. Like Because no one bucks. had the machines. <laughs> it was like a very rare thing. <laughs> yeah, very elite thing. Yeah. So I'd grab like, you know, three or four and put them by the front door and take them and go sell them and get dope. And one time I was selling them. Yeah. And it was the Lion King. <laughs> he had a, like yeah. a seven-year-old daughter. And I was like. You had a seven-year-old? No, he, he did. did. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, and they were going through it at Rockaway over there in Silver Lake. They yeah. were like. I go, oh, no, no, I don't want to sell that one because yeah. I knew it was his daughter's yeah. and I was like going to sneak bad. it back in or yeah. something. And he says, Disney is 20 bucks. I said, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and in the okay, the rationalization of the junkie is I'm going to sell it right now. Yeah. I'm going to come back right. when things are, you know. Right, when sure. You buy know, it back. Yeah, and buy it back but, and sneak it back in. But right now, that's two bags, right? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so the fact was, you know, it just, uh, it was the worst thing I ever did. And you're fucking nodding off and there's some seven-year-old girl crying, where's the Lion King? <laughs> and you're like in a downtown going, sorry, kid. <laughs> Priorities. Yeah. <laughs> Priorities. So, all right, so you're drinking at 17, but like when you're, how long did you fake at Cornell? Just like four months till they caught me. <laughs> well, what what the thing was, I got I got both Social Security because my dad had died, and I got financial aid. How'd he die? He he died of suicide, actually. Yeah. Was he sick? Yeah, or? he was sick. Oh, so, so it was like he took himself out. Yeah, he, he had one of the first open heart surgeries in California. And uh-huh. Didn't he didn't like it? Made you an invalid back then. You like literally went from because you're all purple and you. He just couldn't golf. He couldn't do much. He couldn't eat the way he wanted. He couldn't smoke. He couldn't drink. Ugh. And he just felt like his life was over. Then uh. his best friend shot himself um, before he killed himself. Yeah, a couple couple weeks before. Oh my god. Yeah, it was. A, and you knew <laughs> that guy too. Yeah, Curly Einboden, one of the greatest guys ever, my dad's best friend. Why'd he kill himself? Because he was having health issues too. Really? Yeah, and and it's still going on. Too proud to go through you it. Can, you can drink and drug yourself crazy if you know what you're doing, let's yeah. say. But you hit mid-50s, late-50s, you're going yeah. to implode. Yeah. Right? Right. And I've watched my friends in this generation. I'm 54. I've watched the people that didn't go to rehab or get sober because they just drink or they do dope on the right. weekends or right. whatever or do some coke and then they put coke behind them. They just physically implode right around now. Really? Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah that... Liver can't take it. Body right. Heart can't take it. Isn't that wild? Yeah. It's fucked up. <laughs> You want it to last longer? Well, no, because like I've got 16 years. So I stopped when I was like, uh, what? 30, 35 or 35, something. 35, me too, 35. And I'd gotten enough in, but I didn't go as hard as you. But like there like I there have got, been you guys- You know the price of dope. Uh-uh. $10. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> That's the guy that, that was, knows. That was not my thing. <laughs> no? I, you know, no. How'd you know it was $10? Well, I tried it a couple times. <laughs> 
but it didn't stick. I was lucky. Really? Do you like it? No, I like going up, and I never was a needle guy, so it was all coke and weed and drinking for me. And what town was it mostly going on, here or in New York? Uh, It was mostly, I guess it would have been mostly in New York. You know, I got... I started in college a lot of coke and then you know and then when I got out here I got fucked up on coke and I got psychotic and I had to leave I was here for a year at the comedy store hanging out with Kennison I lost my mind from coke and sleep deprivation yeah. and then I cleaned up the first time went back to Boston where I went to school and sort of started over I get a year and a half here a year and a half there never locked into the program and I'd always pick up with the coke and booze again Coke but, really yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, it was always my thing, and I never knew enough about drug guys to get fucking downers. Like I was always the guy up all night next to a sleeping chick who was just like not on coke, <laughs> thinking I was gonna die. Never, never had a goddamn Valium connection. Never got into dope to come down. I imagine if somebody had said like this dope, if you snort this, it'll take you back down. It would have been a different life for me, or it might have been over. Yeah, yeah, but you know the. The thing about coke, I had a lot of friends that were on coke. Um, just like it calmed hyper people down. There was a lot of, of that's sort of what I did to me. Yeah, yeah. You know, you kind of lock in to a, like a, a weird kind of peaceful confidence. Yeah, peaceful. Yeah, and it makes me agitated. I need heroin. Yeah. But I do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So you go to Cornell for four months. And then you come back, and your dad commits suicide. But that was when you were 15. Yeah. So we're jumping around. But I guess I'm trying to focus in on... Where the torture comes from? Well, no. Where's it? Where Where's it start? Where did you get turned on to Lenny Bruce? What were you doing what, that sort of threw the switch? Well, I was a lonely kind of isolated kid, right? Yeah. So the desert. When you grow up in the desert, there's nobody, you know, yeah, nobody around. It's just a bunch of retired people, really. Yeah. And so, really, my room was always my sanctuary. That's where I listened to Bowie's Ziggy Stardust oh. or the Beach Boys. I loved the Beach Boys. Did you? Love them. And so I'd listen to the Beach Boys. To me, the Beach Boys are always sad music. No, they, he makes me terribly sad. It's sad. Yeah. People think it's so happy. When I listen to Pet Sounds, it's like almost unbearable. It's like <laughs> listening to Daniel Johnston music. Like, it was I can't... really something. Yeah, it was just like, I just hear this fucking weird, almost like bottomless pain. I had a funny thing where he, he um, Bob Dylan played the Greek theater and I was walking in that guest thing, this in the late 80s or something, uh-huh. and I happened to be right behind Brian Wilson and his Dr. Eugene Landy. Yeah, and they yeah. were walking in that pri- that backstage area, mm-hmm. and Bob Dylan was standing there. And th- and I just happened to be like three feet away what from were you doing Bob there? Dylan. Just I'd seen Bob Dylan play, and yeah. then I was just had a backstage pass or whatever. Right. Brian Wilson comes up, and Bob Dylan goes, hey, Brian. And 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 Brian Wilson's like looking confused, and he yeah. goes, "It's Bob, it's Bob," and and Brian Wilson's like, and Bob Dylan explains how they know each other. Really, it was the weirdest thing. Oh, and that's I so think sad. when you watch the movie that came out, I, I think that. that Eugene Landy had him so doped up on medicine. I don't think that's really right. He was that disconnected from right. reality. It was medicine, probably. You know, Thorazine and all kinds oh, of so crazy. Bob had explain who he was, who he was, and how they knew each other. And I was just sitting there, like privy to this really so weird rock and roll sad. moment. Yeah, and that doctor right next to him. Yeah, incredible. So you're out in the desert. You're listening to Ziggy's. Yep. And where's Lenny come in? 
Lenny came in because I saw the movie. I loved movies. Movies is what you could do. You could go right. see the world right down at the Palm and they were Desert playing Twin. Lenny. Yeah. Bob Fosse's Lenny. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're I, like, who the fuck is this guy? I thought Chinatown, Lenny, Godfather 2. Like those, that those was the best. greatest era of best. movies. I just watched both Godfathers it's back awesome. to back. Great. Dude, Michael Corleone, baby. Great, man. I mean, the like just those... You know, two generations of method guys acting the fuck out of that movie. <laughs> Going right out. I it. know. Oh, it's crazy. It's really something. So so I saw Lenny and I just that whole world, it was kind of like the books I was reading at the time, like on the Beat road. And, yeah. Yeah. So then I got that book, that Albert Goldman book, and yeah. it was literally my Bible. Like when I used to tour in Thelonious Monster, I toured like what how Lenny Bruce did with a briefcase full of magazines and books. Cassettes, ghetto blaster, tinfoil, tinfoil up the windows. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Every you, you hotel. Learned you learned yeah, it from Lenny? That's what he would do. <laughs> <laughs> that was it's your like, model. Well, everybody, uh, rock and roll is very, it's a very kind of imitating thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. And what's funny is so many people are imitating uh you know keith richards and david bowie right you know david bowie and his cocaine arrow when he's so thin or whatever oh yeah with young americans yeah yeah and and so a lot of it's like it feeds off itself nowadays kids are doing it like they think john fashante did it yeah, he's i've seen him look pretty bad sometimes yeah yeah <laughs> oh he was there he was he was out there as far as you can go <laughs> I, I got a record that came out not too long ago, and I did not get what he was doing. Oh, oh, the techno stuff. Yeah, and maybe just the last record. What's the last record? Yeah, it's a called, Venetian snares. It's all techno. Yeah, yeah it's I, not I my cup like, of tea. I let's like, say. Where is this at, man? Where yeah. is he at? He's at. I know exactly where he's at. Well, you he's got at your buddies, right? He doesn't want to have to. You know, rock gets so big. Yeah. And it's just like theater. You yeah. have to stand in this place, right? When the, because the lights are programmed, you right. got to play this song uh -huh. that way. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? And uh -huh. he's just not that type of guy. But he's a hell of a guitar player. Oh, he's he, the best. And when he played with the Chili Peppers, you guys go how? You guys go way back, right? Way back till when John was sixteen, he was in Thelonious Monster for a minute. Yeah, and then the Chili Peppers <laughs> saw him play. <laughs> So you, all right, so you're getting into any Bruce. When do you first find drugs in Palm Desert? How the fuck does that happen? Well, alcohol. Right. We used to break into vacation houses. You know what nice. I mean? Nice. Yeah. It was great. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was like the river's, uh, not the river's edge, over the edge. Remember that Matt Dillon movie? Oh, yeah, That's yeah, what yeah, my yeah. life was like. Right. We like, you know, we would take steal golf carts because the people would just park their golf carts in the breezeways, they were called. Uh -huh. They didn't have garages. They had breezeways. Uh -huh. They just plug them in. we just unplug them and go drive around with them. But the cops must have known you. Well, yes. Bobby Forrest, Tommy Paletti, <laughs> David Vaughn, Scott Sims. One of my gang was the principal's son, Scott yeah, Sims. Yeah, yeah. So we were like a gang of hoodlums. And um, we started really getting more and more daring like when we were like 14 15 and it was in the newspaper this vandalism stuff and yeah. one of them brought it to school they're like dude we're gonna get caught and i go where'd you get that because like i was the tough guy of the group right, yeah i was like dude don't fucking say a word what are you doing yeah you know i was holding our gang together right like, don't crumble right yeah, now yeah, yeah. <laughs> and who ratted anyone rat scott got caught <laughs> the principal's son and he threw everyone under yeah, the i bus? just played innocent like mom i don't know what they're talking about. Oh yeah, I wasn't involved in any of that. Uh huh. So she I learned. It? Yeah, my parents were older; they didn't know. <laughs> you know okay, I mean? Sonny. <laughs> I know, Bobby. You yeah. would never do that. <laughs> so, all right. So you're drinking. You're breaking into houses. When's rock and roll start? 
well, when I start playing it, or not playing it, but I, I moved to L.A. in 1980, and I had an uh, apartment going to L.A. City College. And the, the thing that fueled me was my dad's money and the Social Security. As long as I went to college, I had money to live, right? Uh-huh. So, what, he had a trust? Yeah, and yeah. Social Security. Yeah. And all these lo- school loans, he could just keep rolling. I went to college from 79 to like... 85 i think i yeah. probably have like six months of credits <laughs> but i started you going knew what to, you had to do yeah i yeah. started going to the clubs in hollywood on hollywood boulevard and then i started dj and i told them i was a dj and they didn't know like did you have had a fake id i had a crate of records uh-huh play michael jackson little yeah. defunct remember that band yeah. defunct yeah and that's how i met anthony and flea because i was like a dj on hollywood boulevard at the cafe de grand and at the Who club were, lingerie in 1980 and, so what bands were you seeing i was seeing dream syndicate that was oh. the greatest band what's his name steve Wynn? yeah is, or is it Jeff? carl pakoda and 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 dennis duck what and, was Wynn's first name Steve. It was Steve. Yeah, they were so great. Yeah, Days of Wine and Roses is a oh, fucking masterpiece. God. And I like Medicine Show, too. The, yeah, me too. I love John Coltrane on the stereo, baby. Yeah, and Daddy's Girl. Yeah. Oh, I they fucking were love so that. good. Yeah. And that that's that Salvation Army and then Black Flag Circle Jerks, you know. That, that was their time. Of, yeah, but I wasn't a punk rocker. I never like. But that was like second wave, right? So yeah. that was were the Blasters, X, X Blasters. Yeah, that was all Slowbos. Right, that was the greatest era. Well, the, well did you talk Jimmy and the Rhythm Pigs? You ever heard of no. them? No. Oh man. Well, so you, did you gravitate more towards that Americana stuff? Yeah, always rock and roll, anything yeah. honest and earnest, but not punk rock. Because you're not like punk the, rock. I didn't like the beating up people. Yeah, I didn't yeah. get it. Yeah. I like public image a yeah. lot. Man. Well, yeah, yeah. But, well, but he's like a clown. Yeah, nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> An old clown. He's got a he's got a National Geographic show, doesn't he? I don't know. Yeah, he's like a travel. I, they've offered him to interview and I'm just like, I don't know if I could put up with it. Like I don't know where he's at with talking, but like you watch every interview. You know what's that interesting does, about him? Like, I know a little bit about him because we had the same manager. He's actually a really interesting, good Renaissance guy. Yeah. But he puts on the right. Johnny Rotten thing. Yeah, it's like when he's that raised stop? his his um, wife's daughter's child, child children. Yeah. Right. As yeah. his own. His wife's daughter's kid. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he's a good guy, but yeah, he's like, then, I don't have time to try to beat down a wall of Johnny Rotten <laughs> to get to the the good guy. I've heard you beat things down. <laughs> I was pretty, a little nervous coming here. I was like, what is he going to get at Well, here? you're pretty wide open. I try yeah, to be. We speak the same language. I, I, don't, I don't beat too many people down. Uh, sometimes I got to push a little. Because you don't want the bullshit, right? That's what Well, I, yeah, it's just sort of like, you know- I got a new album out. Well, there's some of that, <laughs> but also people who talk a lot publicly have a public narrative, and it's not necessarily that it's a, a lie or that it's bullshit, but they don't need me to do it. Yeah. You know, so it's just a matter of engaging. You, you know what I mean? Sometimes yeah. you just, some guys just see it as prompting, you know, prompting this, and we all do it. You do it, I do it. But, you know, there has to be a moment where we're just talking. Yeah, that's what I think that's special about your show and the idea that you're not going to come in here and just railroad, like I have a new album, a new movie, a new book. Yeah. But how do you keep pure? That's what I really, I really wanted to ask you some questions. How do you keep pure? Because you must be bribed like a motherfucker to just go along to get along and I I hate all the fucking talk the nighttime talk shows and oh, all yeah. that. It's all such bullshit. Well, I'm pure these... because they got no boss 
And you know, I, I you know, I get offered a lot, but of people, but we don't do junk in interviews. Sometimes we'll line shit up yeah. in order to get the guest, but we always sort of pretty clear. It's like, well, this is the way we do the show. Yeah. So can they do this for an hour? And most of the time, it works out. But uh, there's no muscle, you know. There, you know, obviously, occasionally I mean, you, you must think have ahead. been bribed. Like By I, who? I always think there's a corruptibility to this town once you sh- once yeah. you get get on your spot. Your big, here's the biggest bribe that that uh, that that happens. My old manager Dave Becky says we interview Bob. And I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'll interview Bob. <laughs> Becky, Becky, my biggest advocate. <laughs> He's a great guy. He is yeah. really something. No, but that's a friend thing. But there's no. The weird thing is, I operate in this odd space where. For some reason, that machine respects me, and they listen to my show, but they can't buy it. So they, you know, they like having people on it, and they like listening to it. And sometimes they have clients, but you know, I can't get everybody either. Not everybody wants to do this, so there's no real move. There's nothing they can gain from it other than letting me talk to people. Well, here's my thing: is that the whole world is focused on how many Twitter followers somebody has, right? That's demand. That's fading, but yeah, yeah, it's bullshit. Yeah. It's bullshit. Oh yeah, it's, it's bullshit. You know, it, it was a good run for a little while, <laughs> but before that, it was pay per clicks. Because mm-hmm. I, I'm a rehab guy, really, yeah. and I know marketing and how they. It doesn't mean shit. Yeah, actually, what gets down to it is word of mouth. Sure, right, and, and people liking the show. You, you know, like uh, with a show like this where you're doing audio and you do it consistently, you know, people build a relationship with the show, with me, you know, with the types of conversations we have. And there's no, there's nothing to really own. It's a pretty beautiful moment in media right now that if you can find your, your niche or you yeah, can find yeah. your area and hold your audience, you can kind of run your own ship. I mean, there, there's no gates to close. The, yeah. You know what I mean? No one's going to come down and like... Get, but I've but, just watched every comedian for the last 30 years fight for Johnny Carson's slot, fight oh, yeah, for yeah. this, yeah. fight for Letterman, I'm t- I'm over fight it. for all that shit. And all it does is it just gets more and more watered down until it's unwatchable. I don't... It, it becomes sort of the... And these, these are funny people, Mark. You oh, know yeah. that. Well, that, that's because they're all sort of... It, it's a context. And they, they think that's the... They, they got to honor that context. And no one even gives a fuck about it anymore. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like I don't know who watches. Well, they pay a lot for it. Yeah, but th- I mean, even that's starting to slow down a little bit. I mean, you know, some people believe that TV is going to remain vital. Now I'm going to tell you why celebrity rehab exists. You want to know? Because of Jay Leno. Mm-hmm. All right, I was, you know, I've been an advocate for drug addicts. I'm a drug addict. I yeah. love drug addicts. Yeah. I love the whole process with, of the using and sobriety and yeah. how you get there it's my life yeah as important to me as who played bass on walking the wild side which right. was my obsession in my younger life who played bass on walking the wild herbie side? flowers okay <laughs> do you know that <laughs> want me to name all five members of angel this uh, is what becky is so impressed by know, oh he loves this shit yeah. he loves angel you know that band the <laughs> yeah. white kiss yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah it's barry brant was the drummer frank domino was the singer punky meadows was the guitar player remember that do you <laughs> yeah, remember yeah, punky kinda. meadows yeah yeah Greg Jafria, the only one that went on to have a career, Jafria, the uh-huh. heavy metal band, and the bass player was Mick Jones, the third Mick Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So as obsessed as I was about music, I became obsessed about addiction and, mm-hmm. and drug addicts and how they get better. That's and where you work. nerd out. Yeah, I yeah. just became obsessed with it. So, so I really hold it in high, high regard. Sobriety, how people find it, yeah. the storytelling of yeah. it. So every night about eight, nine years ago, the punchline on Letterman, on yeah. Leno, 
yeah. on everything was these two little girls that were obviously one was very mentally ill and drug ad- dependent, and one was just a straight up drug addict. Yeah, little girls, yeah. nineteen and seventeen years old, Lindsay Lohan and Britney Spears. Yeah, and I was watching Leno one night, and the punchline again was hey, Lindsay Lohan. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and I just got so fucking pissed, and I went into work the next day, and I said, Drew, you know what? America's so stupid, it doesn't believe anything it doesn't see on television. We need to humanize addicts on television. We need to have a TV show that shows them, you know, how how painful the process is, how haunted they are, and and what it is that we do. So we should just have cameras here and let a bunch of people get free treatment and have a TV show. And that's what led to celebrity rehab. I didn't want it to be Spite. celebrities. Spite. I wanted the humanness yeah. of addicts that we all know. Well, yeah, because when I watch fucking, when I used to watch Intervention, it, I'd just be bawling. Because, like, oh, you know, yeah. like as uh, somebody in recovery, you sort of get that thing like, I don't know if he's going to make it, that guy. No, he's probably not going to make <laughs> you it. Know, you know what I mean? Like, that's just. How about you, the girl? Remember the girl, the Huffer girl? I'm trying, I, I don't know loved I, that episode. I don't and know she would put two things of Huffer in her mouth at Walmart and shoot them, and then she'd go, I'm walking on sunshine. Oh, I don't remember She got her. sober. She did? Yeah. I just loved her. I remember watching it, and I was single at the time, and I said, I would marry that girl. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm codependent, too, right? Yeah, yeah I, didn't, I, didn't, I just learned about my codependency pretty recently. <laughs> oh, really? It's a hard one to fucking hit bottom with. So, uh, all right, so you're listening to the music. You're do- being a DJ. And and what happens? You meet Flea and you meet Anthony. Met Flea and Anthony, and I saw you a band called music. The Replacements. No, but I saw a band called The Replacements in that year in eighty. The Hoot and Annie tour in eighty three. Oh shit, that was a mess, huh? Yeah, it was a train wreck. And I thought, see, because Anthony and Flea already had a band. It was called Tony Flow and the Majestic Mayhem's of Funk or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Masters of Mayhem. Or so something. Funk, yeah. So Flea always liked that. Yeah, he was a genius. He's yeah. been a genius since the day he was born with music. So yeah. they had this thing where Anthony rapped and the. A band called What Is This, which was Flea, Hillel, and Jack Irons played behind Anthony rapping. Yeah. And so, and they were all like cool, great musicians, and Anthony's super handsome and cool. Yeah. And and so it was just like, well, people like me don't play music. But then when I saw the replacements, I was like, hey, 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 (laughs) people like me play music. (laughs) Yeah. Right. They played more of the kind of music you like. Yeah. And so, so that was very inspiring. I went home that night and I, called a bunch of friends i said well i want to form a band and slowly you know Thelonious monster was born out of seeing the replacements and when did the dope start i was scared of dope i did it one time with top jimmy and then i was scared of it you shot it yeah yeah first time i was like 19 1980 yeah and i was scared of it and i stayed clear of it and then anthony and flea and i were really into coke yeah right and sure. we didn't come down yeah we came down Two to three days later, right. we eat watermelon because yeah. I I thought watermelon is like saline solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah There's it'll always purify the, you. The weird, yeah, the weird hangover <laughs> cures. Yeah, yeah watermelon. Yeah, yeah sure. And watermelon. sleeping yeah. and listening to Graham Parsons' "Grievous Angel." That, oh, was, that was our process. That's a little, that's a hard come down a little we bit. We play cribbage. Not... Me and Anthony play cribbage. Yeah. We eat watermelon. Listen to Graham Parsons. That's how we <laughs> came down. Hey, you guys have been up for a few days. Make note of that system, <laughs> and then get to a meeting. <laughs> And then, and then, uh, then you know, slowly about eighty five, eighty six is where dope starts coming. I had a girlfriend that did dope, mm-hmm. and I was like, I always steered clear of it. And that was around the the first album. Yeah, when our first album came out is when I had just started doing it. In eighty five, we made it, and so 
you know, and it, it and it was just like a weekend, you know, warrior type thing. I didn't do it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly drinking was my primary problem always has been really and the first record like unlike um the uh, which was the first one baby and, you're bumming my life out in a supreme fashion and yeah so that record was a little all over the place stylistically right yeah it was we were trying to be lounge lizards but we weren't good enough so it came out this hybrid hodgepodge of blues and little funk yeah wanna yeah, yeah. be i don't know what and so slowly we you know because that wreck because of our live show was pretty you know ha- it's pretty dangerous yeah because i was kind of obsessed with darby crash so oh you were the whole thing yeah but you so. didn't like punk but you're obsessed with i him. liked him yeah i liked his lyrics were, did, were you able him. to see him no, I, oh, I saw the Darby Crash band, but not the Germs. Like right before he, he yeah, right before he died, a couple of weeks, couple months before. Yeah, so and you liked his performance chops? Yeah, I just liked his whole you know, loose, yeah, floppy, yeah, kind of spontaneously aggressive. Like Jim Morrison, it was yeah. more like Jim Morrison than what is like anything else. Well, he's definitely in his own time zone. Yeah, yeah. he's definitely <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he couldn't sing, and he couldn't really keep time. But you can sing. I learned how to sing. You know, I sang in choir in Catholic school. <laughs> and you listen to David Bowie. Yeah. That's all you need. That's all you need. Elvis <laughs> Costello. People Great. ask me all the time, how do you really learn how to sing? And I say, get like the first four Elvis Costello records and play them in your car and sing along. And eventually you'll know how to how it works. Imperial Bedroom. Imperial Bedroom oh, is boy. unbelievable. Yeah, he's a hell of a singer. So then you do, like, I guess most people know you for Beautiful Mess primarily. Yeah. That was the big record. The Tom Waits song on there. Is that on that one? Yeah, yeah. That, but how'd you know Waits? Because that's was, Waits, and what is that? And that's ninety two. So that that's what, where's Waits at in his journey? He's in making. He's about to make Bone Machine because he called me. I became acquaintance with him or friends with. I don't know why he. I saw him at Keith Richards show. So it's then, right after Heart Attack and Vine when everything breaks apart. No, he had made Rain Dogs. Oh, he did Rain Dogs. Yeah. Okay. And so and he had done um, Frank's Frank Wild, Wild Years. Years. Right, right, right. And then. He was like trying to reinvent it. You know, that's when it yeah. really got weird. If right. you thought Rain Dogs was weird and Swordfish Trombone was yeah, weird, yeah. wait till you hear Bone Machine. So he calls me one day and I just, I pick up a landline and I go, hello? And he goes, Bone Machine. <laughs> and I was like, Tom? And he goes, Bone Machine. <laughs> and I was like, what? Uh, what uh, what's going on? And he goes, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? And I was like, because you always want to answer right for Tom Waits. Yeah. I was like, I don't know, like a like a car made out of bones and he goes oh shit <laughs> and then kathleen was there his wife and she said what did he say and i heard her say that yeah and i was like i knew i said the wrong answer <laughs> what? he he thinks a bone machine is a human body. body it's yeah, a bone right. machine right, right. But, uh, you know it's i like just a, tried to answer it right it was like his version of meat puppet i got the sense that he wanted to call the album bone machine yeah. and she did not well, <laughs> That's Let's call Bob. <laughs> We're calling, you know, a cross section of their acquaintances to I see guess, what the reaction was. I guess, I guess they got enough of the percentage <laughs> for Kathleen to lose that one. He was over at my house here in Mount Washington one time, and I had bought that that record that he got ripped off by so bad by that company. You know, he got ripped off really bad. Which Early record? on in his oh. career. And Island released, or not Island, uh, Asylum released some greatest hits thing. Yeah. And I had just bought it and it was mm-hmm. in my house. And he came in and he goes, what's this? And I said, that it's got Martha on it and everything. Mm-hmm. And he opened my front door and threw it out the front door. <laughs> 
<laughs> so he came into my life for like a year and a half, two years, and yeah. then he just disappeared to so, Roseville. So no But more? I went up there and recorded with him. Recently? No, just for that, that song? That song, yeah. Are you guys still friends? Yeah, I mean, I see him. He's very reclusive. I know, I know. Yeah. I'd love to talk to him, but he, you know, he don't he come out do much. It? Well, I don't know. It's you, I don't even know how to get in. You know, he just There's like a, one guy. I know he doesn't have a manager. He doesn't. Uh, he does yeah. like one interview a year. You got to go up there. Maybe I'll take go up this, there. I'll take this no, shit up there. I take shit up there. I got a rig. <laughs> he meets you at I, a truck stop. I, I travel I with this. <laughs> there you go. I was a huge weights fan, man. He's the in, best. in high school. That's another guy I didn't mention. I some in that box of records I told you about was Nighthawks at the diner. Oh my god! And I was like, holy fuck, what is this? Big Joe and Phantom. Yeah, and I used to wear that hat like he had on the cover. I'd wear shirts like his. I dressed like weights. I'd probably my sophomore year of high school. There you go, man. Yeah, that, he was my guy for a while. I just thought, how can he be this fucking funny and this fucking cool and playing this old style music? You so know, it was, great. It's fucking amazing. It was amazing. So I was peeing next to him at the Keith Richards show at the Palladium, and I looked over and I was kind of drunk, and I said, "Oh my God, Tom Waits!" And he goes, "Oh my God, Bob Forrest!" And I go, <laughs> "How the fuck do you know who I am?" And I almost peed on him, and I was like, <laughs> I almost fainted. And he goes, "I go see Thelonious all the time." And then we were in the bathroom there, and I was like, what? I would hear that if you were at our show. Right. And he goes, let me tell you something. Uh, you know, but you and the, I was at a show with other couple months ago, and you and the drummer just went at it physically. Physical. You decked him, and he knocked you over, and then you just walked back to your places and continued on. Is that real hostility, or is that some sort of stage thing? And I said, no, I fucking hate him. And he goes, that's what I thought. <laughs> And that's when you met Tom Waits. Yeah, that's when he. It was so cool, like having him in my life. He called me one time. He said, "You want to go to the Wiltern and see this bald chick?" And I was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> she no All right, so you're now you're doing dope. Your first record's out. You're finding your groove because by the time Beautiful Mess comes out, you definitely have a style. It's not it's not punk rock. It's sort of like pop Americana, but good, right? I'm trying. Yeah. So how how when did you get strung out bad? Bad was a little before Beautiful Mess. I got this solo deal with RCA. Yeah. And they gave me, they, back in the day, they used to give you a lot of money yeah. when they thought you could be a star. <laughs> Even the sweating guy. <laughs> give the sweating guy a couple hundred thousand dollars. That's crazy. The guy with no pupils. Let's I, give him some yeah, money. I literally went from like, you know, living in this one bedroom house on Fountain to like living in the Hollywood Hills and doing whatever the fuck I wanted, and it was crazy. On a record that's deal, bad. Yeah, that's a bad deal. And that was the deal for Beautiful Mess. No, well, no, it was for the solo deal that never came out. I made the most horrible record ever made. Do you have the tapes? Yes, I do. How are they? My mom has them. My sister mom. Yeah, <laughs> I sometimes <laughs> listen to them when I'm in Oklahoma. Just that's where she is. Now? Yeah, she's in the witness to protection program. That's a whole nother story. Really? Yeah. She went there. She married a coke dealer, and then he turns evidence against the Bonanno family, and they had to get out. And... Is she still married to him? No, they divorced, but she stayed out there. She likes it out She's got to stay in the program? Huh? She's got to stay in the witness protection program? No, no. It was oh, just she... to get away and oh. high, lay low. Yeah. But that's why she went out there 20 years ago. Oh, and my And she God. stays out there. She was born in L.A. What happened to the dude? Did they hit he's, him? He's still around, Terry. Yeah. He's a good guy. He's married to somebody else, has a bunch of kids. Ah. Uh. But so the 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 curse is off him though. They're yeah, curse is off him. Wow. Yeah. Holy shit. All right. So you make a shitty solo album. You're all fucked up on heroin, and you're living up in That's the hills. That's when I go to my first rehab because the girl I was dating's dad was sober, and he was like, "What's yeah, that? Eighty seven? Eighty eight? Yeah. Eighty seven? Yeah. Yeah. And um 
and so I went to Hazelden. I remember they did this kind of intervention on me, but I knew it was coming because I'd been working on an album for a year and I yeah. had nothing. And so, um, you know, I went to this restaurant, that's Citrus why, on That's when I went to my first rehab. I went to Hazelden. No, I didn't. But they said they wanted me to go to this one in L.A., and I said, I'm not going to one in L.A. I'll just leave. I know myself. You'll and I there. said, listen, I read in the National Enquirer that Elizabeth Taylor went to some rehab in Minnesota. I want to go to that one. <laughs> that's, right, that's how I chose my first rehab, the National <laughs> Enquirer. Yeah. Because I was so much like Liz. Sure. Maybe you could <laughs> hang out. Maybe she'd come up there. So, but that was a great experience. That's when rehab really worked. Right. I really, I knew... When I walked out of Hazelden 33 days later, I knew what the problem was. I yeah. knew that I had it. Yep. I knew it was a disease. Yeah. I knew what to do about it. I just didn't want to do it. How long did you stay sober? About eight months. Yeah? Yeah. And what pulled you back? The guy, I'm an atheist, so it was kind of hard. I'd go to meetings every day. But you got hung up on it. Yeah, you got I, hung up, I got on, the hung God up thing. on the God thing. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, that's, that's so, so much the mental ticket out for like guys who really, like who get it. But then I the, get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so nowadays, I just, you know, regardless of what people believe, we're all doing the same thing. Yeah. So just keep doing the same thing. I have a two-step program if you'd like to join it, Mark. Sure, what is it? Be cool and don't use. Yeah. <laughs> be cool is a big tent sure. thing. Yeah. There's a lot of things Try in the Try to hit cool. a meeting occasionally. <laughs> well, Check that, in. That's being cool. Yeah. Helping out, driving people to meetings to pick them up a rehab. The God thing, like uh, there's some 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 guy said something in a meeting once that that just sort of works for me is that like yeah, God doesn't wake up and think he's you. <laughs> All right, there you go. That's a that's good a, one. That's enough. Yeah, I like that one. You haven't heard that one. How often do you hear one you haven't heard after right. how long I you got know. sober now? Nineteen years. Holy fuck! All right, so you get sober the first time, but you were able to. What you were in and I out? knew I knew that it was the solution. Yeah. I just wasn't you know, I I met a great counselor, her name was Gloria Scott, uh, years later in a rehab and she's I said, Why is it so hard for me just to get catch on to these simple shit? And she goes, I have a theory. To the degree of your arrogance will be the degree of your suffering. Pride. Yeah. 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 So I was uh I was a pretty arrogant, frightened. That's child. pretty good. That's a good one. Yeah. Pride's a fucking bitch. I was scared yep. of what it is. Mm -hmm. And I also thought sobriety was going to be boring. You know, that's what a lot of young people think these days. It, it turns out it's fucking insane. It's really hard to go through a month, a year. Without... If you think in terms of what using is. Yeah. You know, like a guy, I, I, had a, I talked to a guy. Um, it was interesting. It was an interesting moment. I've tried to explain it a couple of times, but it doesn't quite resonate. I know a guy's on medicine. And he's on, you know, like bipolar medication. They gave him some clonopins to self-medicate when shit got out of hand in case the lamictal wasn't working. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and, and I bet basically the prescription was, is like, you know, when you need to you know, feel better, you know, you know, take one of these if you're going, you know, either way. I need to feel better all the time. That's what he said. He said, you take one. It's like, of course this feels better. <laughs> it feels better. It's going to feel better. Always. Yeah. Here's my thing is you, when, when. When Lenny Bruce was doing dope, there was probably one-tenth of one percent of the population was doing dope. Yeah. Right? Nowadays, a third of the population is doing dope. Something. You know, it's not, not outlaw. It's right. not outside the norm. It's mainstream. Right. Your mom and your grandma are on right. drugs. Right. Addictive, deadly, destructive drugs. Yeah. They may be coming from Walgreens. Right. Instead of Chewy. Yeah. 
But they're the same thing. So did when you you roadied first for the Chili Peppers? Yeah, yeah. And they were just your buddies and you just yeah, hang out? I started as the manager, then I became the road manager, then I became the roadie, then I was fired completely. <laughs> <laughs> by my, by my yeah. best friends. Yeah. And you guys are all still friends? Yeah, yeah. Talk to them And everybody's the sober. Yeah. That's fucking... It's, it's a, weird, right? It's amazing. It's a... It, you know, and the funny thing is... We used to talk about it a lot, talk about it less now, and gone round and round about it, whether it helps or hinders. One of the things I think with 16 and 19, I think that discourages. I don't think it- Discourages what? People to think they could be sober and live a happy, fun life, not on drugs. Yeah. You know, a lot's been made about my sobriety. It's just like the first seven eight years yeah. felt so purposeful and i felt so connected to new people and whatever mm-hmm. and as as the years have rolled on i just feel i try to be a, there and present with them but it's yeah. it's so it's a big distance i don't know like lately i guess we can just talk freely i about it, it it's like i get to a point where i get pretty dry and i can and i can see it and i can feel it no matter how many good things are going on like there's that weird thing like i just become relatively successful in the last few years yeah and i'm still uncomfortable and i still get angry and i still have very little patience so my gratitude situation is not in good place and then i get i get that weird dry aggravated oh why don't i have something and then, like, I'll go to a meeting and I'll talk to a new guy. Like, I just started talking to a new guy, and I'm like, "Holy shit, I, I know how this works, and it feels pretty good to tell someone else, you know, how how I did it, or 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 you know, to be to or be just helpful, be present with yeah, them. And, that's and, what I like when somebody's really when when I really connect with somebody, yeah, and and it, it's it's a couple of years process really, yeah, where you really like become this closeness, right? You know, it's not every sponsee, but it's once in a while, it's pretty magical. And I always say there's three states of being in relation to the to AA, yeah. right? You're entering into it, yeah. You're fully engaged in it, or yeah. you're leaving it, yeah. Right. Right. What's great about it is if a new person asks somebody who's leaving and they really connect, they both immediately become fully engaged in it. Yeah. Uh, that to me oh, is yeah, the that's thing what, that saved me that, time and time that's again. The, then that lays the foundation. Here's the weird thing is that I always tell these guys, it's like, just fucking make it your own. Don't get hung up on who's doing it right or whether you're doing it right or which guy's like shoving what down your throat and how to do it and when to do it. Oh, you're speaking my language, buddy. Well, yeah, because I was always the aggravated guy at every year, at every juncture. To this day, (laughs) I'm not... I'm not comfortable. I'm not, you know, I'm grateful to be sober and I don't want to live any other way. And I, you know, my first, the woman who brought me in used to say this thing where she'd be like, the only step you have to work perfectly is the first one. And I believe that. Mm -hmm. And I believe meetings will keep you sober. But I also know that like, I can't play this thing by the rules. I got, you know, I understand what, what, how to make these steps my own and also how to, to integrate them into my life. So, so I can own them. You got to own that shit. Do you want to get really technical about it? Uh-huh. There's a sentence in the book that says, this is a design for living a bridge back to the real world. Yeah. That suggests that AA is not the real world, that we're <laughs> supposed to go out and practice this shit yeah. with the people down the street right. here. And right, right. With you know, I'm, you know what I'm saying. Sure, but and I get that's I, that's like the old Buddhist saying: easy to be spiritual on a mountaintop, hard down in the village. Right, right, right. That's where 
My yeah, and, and also I get very defensive when these articles start coming out about why AA is a cult or why it's like no, Who it's cares? not. But yeah, but no one's making any money. It's a Don't benign go. cult. Yeah, it is like, a cult. It's a benign cult. Nobody's in charge of it. Doesn't make any money. I had a guy say this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but the thing is, is like, do, do, don't fucking tear it down if you offer nothing in return. Don't go. You know, if you don't have the bug and it's not for you, go, well, then fuck off. Yeah, I think that AA used to be much more welcoming of other things. A lot of my friends have gotten sober lots of different ways. Having a Stay family. Stay sober. Yeah. yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. Like, there are those, yeah, bu- those gifted of, people that just yeah. are like, no, no, no. One of my friends I worked it. with went back to the Catholic Church and became like a devout Catholic and he's yeah. a concierge or something, whatever oh, it's yeah. called. Yeah. It's not a priest, but it's something. Yeah. And like, he's all into that. Like, fine. He doesn't yeah. shoot dope anymore. Good for him. I, you know. Some guy used to tell this story about how his, uh, how he told his sponsor early in sobriety. It's like, yeah, I, I don't want to fucking get brainwashed. And his father said, your brain needs washing. <laughs> Gloria Scott said that to oh, me. Yeah. <laughs> Same woman that said, to the degree of your arrogance. <laughs> there used to be, that's the other thing. There used to be champions of storytelling. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I one time drank a six pack of beer in Naomi and see what happened. You know what happened? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, no, they're just like, <laughs> no. Then I'm walking out as a third and gardener at the old original yeah, yeah. one. I'm walking out. About a hundred people said, "Keep coming back, I Bob." <laughs> you, you thought you'd start I wanted some to get shit. thrown out so bad. <laughs> they absorb everything, and the, and and the, and the showboats, you know, who have a new way or a different way. There was a while there in New York and San Francisco where there's, there was this subgroup coming around called the Transmitters, and they would sit there and they would inventory constantly. It was like a, a, a an Are inventory. Kidding? No, in, in, like exhausting. A, yeah, every I five minutes became tired. <laughs> every five minutes they were inventorying, and they thought this was they were going to do a, a branch off group, and, and and people were kind of panicky at first, and it's just like it's like democracy in a way. It's like they'll go away, just <laughs> come and go. Yeah, yeah, they'll it'll, they'll filter out. But okay, so. When did you get sober for real, and how how did Beautiful Mess? What was the thing that leveled your your career in the well, band? Well, the band ended; they got tired of me. But did you your know? record company fuck you? Did was no, you no, have- no. It was all good. We were actually doing the best we had done when we kind of broke up. It uh-huh. was in Europe, and I had ruined this big tour, and because you were fucked up, yeah, really fucked up. Was it? Was that where they? There's stuff on YouTube. Yeah, you- yeah, yeah. Well, that's one show, but it was just a cont- one. One time, I didn't even go to our show. I went and saw Guns and Roses is at another place <laughs> and i forgot that we were playing <laughs> did you would you shoot up right before you went on no I'd, i mostly smoked crack i was always pretty high from heroin so i needed something to pick me up yeah and i play and then i drink while i play and then i do dope when i got back to the hotel oh yeah to come Just down from constant everything constant self-medicating life. but it's interesting like because i have to assume that some like i watch some of this stuff and it seems to me that that you must have informed Cobain a little bit just singing oh, stylistically some, yeah. and and there it felt that did you does anyone say that yeah but you know I feel sad because we were a generation that was very positive about celebrating you know yeah debauchery right and then I think the casualties came in that next generation which were Kurt and Shannon Hoon and Brad Knoll from right. Sublime I think they looked up to us they were like five I think they're like five or seven year, years younger than yeah. us we were already bands that had records right. and I, when I say we I'm looking at Anthony Perry me Yeah, we were pretty pretty obviously Perry drug addicts he's great he's like Mr. Husband. Oh, yeah. Always oh, see him with his wife and kids. Like, it's really weird. He and I were at the, uh, what was it called? The Tony Hawk Foundation luncheon yeah. the other day with our yeah. kids. And, like, yeah, it's just so weird. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you're lucky. You, you got Lucked older. Out. You had kids late, right? Yeah. How old well, I have kid? a five-year-old and a 28-year-old. Where'd the 28-year-old come from? From, you know, that era. Oh, yeah? Mid, mid from 80s. a woman's vagina? Yeah, yeah, that's how it happened. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and I tried to be a dad and wasn't very good at it. And then when he, I, I got sober, he was eight and he moved in with me. And you we got a good relationship. Right? Yeah, he lives in Baltimore. Yeah. He wanted to get out of L.A. Oh, that's smart. It was weird. He's a musician and all of us tried to help me. He didn't want our help. Is that's he still? Real. Still a huh? musician? Oh, yeah. Oh, he yeah. makes a lot of records. Kids nowadays, they make like records every six what's months. What's his band? What's, what's he It's from? called The Terrors. Uh-huh. And, well, he doesn't like you to say the, because uh, here's an interesting thing. So we always say the terrors. Yeah. But it's just terrors. Uh-huh. So Anthony talks about him in Rolling Stone magazine. I say, I say, do you see Anthony talked yeah. about you in Rolling Stone? And he's like, I don't know who he was talking about. He was talking about the terrors. Uh-huh. I don't know who that is. <laughs> I was like, you are such a prick. <laughs> we love- Tell he's your just- friend to get it right, Dad. <laughs> So after a beautiful mess and everything, what you've just you did a couple solo albums and mostly focused on sobriety. Was that the yeah? Life? I was just started working like I was. I made the Bicycle Thief record and I toured that, and it was just kind of ran its course. And then I thought, I'm, you know, I'm like 40 years old. What the fuck am I going to do with? Hopefully, I'll live 30 more years. Yeah. And a, there wasn't a lot of roadmaps of musicians. Like, what do you do? Do you go back? Were to you school? bitter? No, no, I was pretty content. Uh-huh. You know, The Bicycle Thief did pretty well. And so uh-huh. I was financially sound and I was just like wondering, but wondering what the fuck am I going to do? Am I just going to go to Tropical and wear <laughs> rock and roll t-shirts and like be 50 years old? Be the legendary and sober so, guy? Yeah, and so Anthony said, why don't you go down and volunteer at MAP? And so that's what I did and that's how I got into the racket. You know, it, there was this thing called Musician's Assistance Program mm-hmm. and it was just the greatest thing. Paid for hundreds and thousands of musicians to go to treatment and mm-hmm. it was re- this brother and sisterhood and it, it just was a magnificent thing. It became Music Cares, which is kind of a corporate kind of thing. And, and your relationship with Drew started how? He, I took some of my clients. I started working at this place and first fundraising and then, and then running groups and I really liked it. And I went, they needed extras for this Bill Nye the Science Guy show about addiction. And Drew was the host of it and I had known him from the 80s being on the radio. Yeah. And he kept looking at me and then afterwards he said, what's your name? And I said, Bob, it's Bob Forrest, dude, from Thelonious Monster. And he's like, I heard that you died. And I go, well, I certainly did not. <laughs> and he said, do you need to come and work with me? So then about a year later, when MAP dissolved into music, yeah. I went and mo- worked with and, him. And history is made. Well, you know, I learned a lot from that. I mean, he helped me grow up a lot. Yeah. If it wasn't for him and this other doctor, Dr. Blum, they used to, they gave me a dictionary. Yeah. And uh, said there are other words in the English language than fuck. Uh-huh. And so they challenged me you know and they mentored me and i kind of but you got out without the hep i get the hep oh you do yeah i uh, you know i have i've been in remission or like low yeah. viral count so i don't qualify for the medicine oh yeah but because i got a medicine that get, yeah that thousand gets bucks it. a pill if you want it cash you got to get it covered by your insurance yeah. now i heard i heard blue cross ppo doesn't have the same criteria as mine yeah so i might switch when the next obamacare thing comes around yeah yeah right just switch. in case and the, but i'll switch to uh, blue cross ppo and they'll say we don't pay for that anymore if you're healthy and whatever right so you've been all right with it. I've been all right. I've I when I go in to get sonograms or viral counts, they just like they can't believe how low it is. Huh? You know, I've been sober a long time. I try to eat right. I don't smoke. Yeah. You know, but eventually it'll catch up with you. Yeah. 
You know, I just couldn't do the interference. I was so yeah, knocks work. a lot of guys out. Well, knocked my friend Harold out, and then it didn't cure him. And I thought, fuck, you got six months of that shit, and then it doesn't work. Yeah. Now this new drug is so magical, but it costs so much. Right. Well, maybe eventually it'll lower a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's got to. So, do you have your own rehab center? Yeah, I got this place out in Malibu called Acadia. It's all insurance driven, but I used to own it, and I kind of sold it to my partners. I'm trying to play music. Well, yeah. Well, this new record, it's good. Yeah. You want to play some? Yeah, I'll play. I'll All right. play. Okay. What are you going to play? That's the album that I figured if I was going to play two songs, I'd play the first song and the last song. What about the serial song? Do you play that? Oh, you want to play that? Sounds great. Oh, thanks. That was fun. What other one do you do? I 
I'm trying to do them all. I play, I, you know, but uh, the one I really like is, the, you know, people always ask you, don't they ask you, like, what have you learned from being sober all this time? Yeah, and yeah. All this, what's the wisdom? And I was like, fuck, I'm just barely getting through the day today. Don't have any real, don't use, be cool. Well, you got a song? Yeah, I wrote it. So it, it's like when I was in my best state of, like, thinking I knew something. There'll be peace in the valley. When there's peace in my heart But the road gets so winding That you just get lost My friends, let me tell you As dumb as it sounds Well, kindness is everything And love is all there is Kindness is everything And love is all there is sounded great man uh, crackly but it's all right it's all right what do you want to do you good yeah i'm good thanks for having me yeah man it was great to see you i'm glad you're doing well yeah and i love good. the record glad to be here do we thanks. cover it all oh yeah i think so you get it you know what I, you got so podcasts right they say yeah. well yeah that was good and then we'll tighten it up where does tightening <laughs> it up come from it's got to be a sexual term well, it used to mean, I think uh, getting, tight? getting tight meant getting high oh, at okay. some point. But tighten it up means, uh, you know, just... Because I know. think Archie Bell and the Drills, do the tighten up, tighten <laughs> up, y'all. I guess it's been used a lot of different ways, but I think it just means we'll, uh, we'll tighten it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Tighten it up. I hope that was exciting and interesting and inspiring and, again... Don't be afraid to ask for help. There's help out there. Save your life if it needs to be saved and you have the will to at least pick up a phone or go get some help if you need help for whatever it is. All right? There's no shame in it. 
Merry Christmas. I love you all. Most of you. Some of you I don't. Some of you I tolerate. But that's, you know, that's, that's mature. Tolerance is, is a mature and decent thing to do. Now I love you all right now. It's fading, though. No, I'll stick in. I'll stay in. Happy holidays. Boomer lives! <laughs>